every business should have access to high-speed internet, no matter where they are. But getting fast speeds in rural Canada hasn't always been easy, which meant less reliability, scalability, and connectivity. ExploreNet Enterprise Solutions has the network to help you do business virtually anywhere in Canada. With extensive fiber, fixed wireless, and satellite networks, we're bringing the high speeds of the big city to small towns, to tiny towns, and even no towns. No matter your business size or location, get connected today with ExploreNet Enterprise Solutions. Are you ready to clear a new path? Welcome to Clearing a New Path podcast, a space for the underrepresented voices of women entrepreneurs in rural Canada. I'm your host, Shauna Ray. Each episode, guests will speak authentic truth because it's the truth that connects us. Each one inspires us all to take up space within our own communities and within the business world reminding us that each path can be messy and unique. Join us on the journey, clearing a new path. Shauna Perry is the owner of Little Black Dress, a women's high-end consignment boutique located in Summerside, Prince Edward Island. Shauna grew up in rural PEI in her early 20s. She traveled as much as she could, both nationally and internationally, before settling back in PEI to raise her family and open up her own business. Although she was hesitant to start a business in rural PEI, she knew that it was home for her, and she was optimistic she'd have the local support to become successful. Fashion has always been a love and passion of Shauna's, so deciding to open a clothing store was not a surprise to anyone. A consignment boutique not only provides great quality products to the community at affordable prices, but it also presents the opportunity for locals to gain some income from their previously loved pieces. Not only that, but of course, it reduces the amount of textile waste otherwise going into landfills. At Little Black Dress, Shauna and her team pride themselves in promoting inclusion and body positivity. No matter what age, race, weight, or gender you are, or regardless of your sexual orientation, the team welcomes you with open doors and can ensure they will have something for you. Little Black Dress believes in true, authentic style rather than what is trendy. And it is because of the local support that Shauna has received from her own community that Little Black Dress continues to grow and thrive, not only as a boutique, but as a community. She says Little Black Dress is not just a brand, it's a lifestyle. Okay, Shauna, from one Shauna to the other... 
<laughs> where where do you hail from? Where in rural or remote Canada are you? I am in Summerside, Prince Edward Island. There's only two cities in Prince Edward Island, um, and it's the second largest one, so it's the smaller one of the two. We're probably about an hour away from the main city, which would be Charlottetown. So how did your professional life lead you to becoming your own boss? I went to school in business. I always liked numbers and I thought I might want to do something in accounting or with numbers. I always liked math and that sort of thing. And it wasn't until I actually graduated with my business degree and started working in different roles within business that I realized I kind of liked to be the one controlling things a little bit. Um, I kind of just fell into a lot of administrative roles and that allowed me to kind of have a dip my foot in managing certain businesses and kind of being the front person in control of those businesses. And that, that passion in me just kept growing and growing to the point where I knew I needed to be out on my own. But it actually probably wasn't until I became a mother that I took that step forward because I also knew that was the time that I kind of needed more flexibility to with balancing being a mother and also still having a career. Why did you choose fashion? That was very easy for me to choose. I grew up like as a young kid, just loving clothes. I remember I'd be like 10 years old and I'd want to buy the <laughs> the newest Vogue issues. <laughs> That that's pretty t- telling. That's pretty telling. <laughs> yeah, I was always like as a young girl sketching clothing designs, and I would always be in my grandmother's basement trying on all of her old vintage clothing. So it was a passion that stems within me from a very early age. Um, so that was no question. I knew if I was going to start a business, it was going to be within fashion for sure. And why sustainable fashion? I think that's the way of the future. I consider myself a young entrepreneur. I'm just in my early 30s. So I know I have a large, a long career ahead of me. And I wanted to make sure I think that I was going to start something that was growing and not kind of going the other way. Sustainability and the environment are important to me on a different level. But from a business standpoint, I really did feel like that was kind of what was growing right now. And your clients, they feel the same way. And and are they all different ages? Yes, absolutely. We have um, eight, we have teenagers come into the store, 15, 16, and we also have like retired women in their 60s, 70s, really all ages. Though I do find it is, it is the older generations, like the boomers, I guess that we call them, that are a little still hesitant to buy secondhand. It's just because it is something that's fairly new and it's just kind of started trending recently. So we do have that age range, but it's definitely not as popular as some of the younger younger clients that we have. When I went on your website, I saw that you do styling. Were you able to do that through the pandemic or before, after? You know, I, I think I am interested in that. I'm a Gen Xer. And I love vintage clothing, and I would love someone to style me and pick out some some uh, outfits for me that go together. It's what we love. That's one of my favorite parts of the job. Unfortunately, with the pandemic, we couldn't do the styling in the sense that we had planned. For example, we had planned to go to your home, look through all your clothes, and kind of put things together. I feel like that's one of the biggest things people have a hard time with is 
everyone has a closet full of clothes, but they don't know what to pair with what. And, um, you know, you might buy something really amazing and you bought it because you love it and it's striking, but you had no idea how to wear it. So we would go to people's homes and put outfits together for them and make them feel comfortable with what they own so that they don't have to overbuy and keep buying more. However, with the pandemic, <laughs> that kind of came to a halt. So in turn, how we adapted for styling, we often we offered what we call our style boxes. So basically, we would go through our store when our store was closed and we would pick out um, probably like 10 things. Like we would get your sizes from you and kind of like a little bio on your style and what you like and what you if you work from home or if you work in an office and we would gather a few things that we thought you might like and we would put it in a box and we would deliver it to your door um contactless free of contact and we'd give you two to three days to try everything on and see if you like anything and then return what you didn't like back to us and then we would arrange payment so we kind of (laughs) adapted to keep doing the styling to a sense just to keep going through the pandemic what a hustle that must have been I mean, <laughs> yeah, it was a good idea at first. We didn't realize it was going to be a lot of work, <laughs> but it did end up being a lot of work, but it was a lot of fun for us. And I have a great team and they all enjoyed it too. It's a service that you can't, I mean, you would never, I would never think in a rural space that I, in a small town that I would be able to get that kind of a service. So it's really it's quite innovative. Do you plan to branch out into other areas of Canada? Yeah, it's just funny. I just want to touch on how you said, you know, being in a small rural town, you wouldn't think you'd get that service. And I think that was what was really easy was being in a small town. We might have had like uh, four people one week or even one day who all wanted a style box and we would have to deliver it to their door. But they usually probably lived on the same street (laughs) because because we're in such a small town. So it was really easy to make those deliveries and pickups because it's a very small knit community here. We uh, would love to obviously keep growing and branching out. We are trying to promote that we do ship Canada wide. um, So we're really trying to promote that because we do post a lot of our products on our social medias. So keep growing, I suppose. Where do you get your pieces from? Because I have seen some pieces that I desperately wanted to get and thought, I don't know if, you know, by the time I can get it, you know, somebody else wouldn't have scooped it up, right? Mostly all local. Before the pandemic actually hit, when we first opened, we thought that we would probably get some really neat pieces in from tourists or people traveling to PEI. But then we were only open for three weeks right before the pandemic hit us. So then it just became locals. So I would say like 80% of what we get in is people from Summerside or at least surrounding areas. We have recently started getting pieces in from people in the big city in Charlottetown. <laughs> but that's that's pretty much it. It's, it's pretty much all local to PEI. They're fantastic. Like, I mean, I, I, I'm thinking to myself, you're on PEI, you're on an island. And, and there's some fantastic pieces that you have. I've seen your Instagram account and I follow your team and you've got a great team. People, the people around you, the support system. We do. And like, obviously working through a pandemic has been very rough. And I do, like, I'm so grateful for the team I have because without them, I don't know if we would have made it through everything. We all just like shared 
the exact same goals and the same drive to make our business keep growing. So yeah, I'm, I'm very lucky in that sense, for sure. Well, we know that you had challenges with the pandemic, obviously, mm-hmm. and, and having to, well, let's talk a little bit about what you had to do. I mean, with restrictions. Yeah. <laughs> well, so like I said, we, uh, we first opened the business in February of 2020. And then we were open for three weeks. And then we're told we have to completely shut down lock our doors, shut shut everything up. And we had to do that until July 1st. So that was a, a really rough four months, not only because we had to shut down and I had to kind of figure a way to how do we how do we survive this and try and make it until July 1st, but also because like I said, I am a mom. I'm a mother of two very young kids. At the time, they were four and one. So, and and the daycares were closed. <laughs> so not only was I trying to make the business survive through a pandemic, but I was also home with my two little kids. So that was probably the, the hardest four months of my life to that date. <laughs> I think it really was because I knew I had to keep working. I was still had to put in at least six hour days and I would just have to lug my kids there with me. So that was definitely the most challenging, but I mean, even now we're still in, we're still in kind of like a recovery mode. I usually say we're just kind of starting to try and get back on track. And I think a big challenge, not just for me, but to my whole staff is the unpredictable, like what's going to happen next? What's next month going to look like? And then what, what's the month after that going to look like? It's really hard to plan for anything. And we're really just kind of living on a week to week basis right now because that's all we kind of know. So we can't really plan for the spring. Like I wish I knew if tourists were going to come this summer, but I can't plan that far ahead. <laughs> so it's it's just been really tough kind of living week to week. And that's kind of forced us to hang on to every pennies we've made because we don't know if it could shut down again. I'm hoping that we're in a good spot and we can keep putting one foot in front of the other. But yeah, I'd say that that's that's an ongoing challenge for sure is just um, I'm definitely a planner and it's been really hard not being able to plan ahead. <laughs> Especially somebody who comes from a financial background. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. I like I like to watch my uh, my finance my financials, and I like to see where we're at and where we should be going. And I have not been able to do that in two years. It's just kind of like winging it, and I'm not that person at all. So um, it's it's made me grow, I suppose, and kind of adapt. But it it's an ongoing challenge for us, for sure. Have you faced any challenges that were related um, specifically to being rural or remote, or and or I guess I should say, uh, being a woman? Definitely. Uh, so just the when you touch on being a woman, um, I'm not sure if it's being a woman or being a mother, but. And this is, I'm not going to try and throw my spouse under the bus here or anything because he's great and he's supportive. But anytime that we did have to come into a closure for the pandemic, it was kind of almost assumed that me being the woman in the house and me being the mom, I was going to be the one stepping out of work and taking care of the kids in the house. It was never even kind of like a discussion like, well, maybe you do it this time. Maybe you step away from your career and spend a month or two at home with the kids. It was always kind of assumed that I was going to be 
just put in that position because that's what was expected of me. I thought about it a couple of times and we kind of negotiated some a little bit, but that was definitely um, one thing that just kind of drives me a little crazy sometimes that we as women of the house and as the mothers of the house are just assumed to play that role. And financially, like when we were, when I was trying to open up the business way in the beginning, um, trying to get financed for it. The banks were always wanting to know um, like my spouse's income at, to get a loan. And well, what's, what does your, what's your spouse do for work? And it was always kind of about our family income and about him. And it was, well, we need his signature on this loan. And they, it was, I could never independently get any money from the bank, even though I had had really good careers up to that point and had a consistent income my whole life. And I really didn't want to do it that way. I'm kind of stubborn and I really just wanted to do it myself without him co-signing for anything. And I was eventually fortunate after hearing no from so many banks that I went to CBDC and I was so excited that they they were all just about me. They were looking at me. They only wanted to know about my income, about my um, projections for the business. They never once asked if I had a spouse, let alone what he made. <laughs> so I, I did hear a lot of no's from a lot of banks um, until I went to CBDC and finally got awesome. funding through them. But that was one challenge that I did feel... Um, because I was a woman, I wasn't enough <laughs> that I needed a man in my life to kind of get that money, which was a struggle for me as well. What do you find troubling about the times that we're living in? What keeps you up at night? Oh, man, that's a that's a loaded question. What keeps me up at night? Personally, for me, and I'm sure other women can relate to me, other women in business, mothers probably especially, but I have a really hard time balancing home and work or the lack of balance, I guess I should say. I don't even think that work-life balance exists in my life. It's impossible for me as a as a female entrepreneur and as a mother, it's impossible for me to put my phone down when I get home. I know a lot of people preach that like when you get home when you're when you're done of your nine to five and you get home for the evening your phone you know you shouldn't be thinking about work and you should put your laptop away and you should pay attention to your kids and get supper made for your husband and all that stuff and I can't I um my phone's ringing until I go to bed and if I want to keep my business steady and stay efficient in communication with my clients and with my customers and my staff, I have to keep that phone on. And I try my best to explain that to my kids. They are getting a little older. They're seven and three now. So they've kind of have been growing up with that and it's normal to them. And But it is something that pers- like mentally and emotionally I struggle with at the end of the day is feeling like I'm kind of you know, doing a 50% job of being a mother and a 50% job of being a wife and a 50% job of being an entrepreneur and a business owner, but I can't really be a hundred at any one of those things, if that makes sense. I think it's just juggling all of that is what, uh, that's definitely what (laughs) eats me, eats away at me at night, but it's just, it's just kind of everyone has to do what works for them. And unfortunately, that has to happen for me. You know, I I would love to be home on the weekends and go sledding with my kids and stuff like that. But 
I get called into work and, you know, people think of entrepreneurship and owning a business as this glorified, like, oh, you must have so much freedom. And <laughs> it's quite the opposite. But um, I'm grateful for being able to own my own business and be happy with what I do. But it definitely takes away from other parts of my life that I wish I could be more present in. So <laughs> I feel like I'm rambling a lot, but that's that's definitely the the struggle in all of this for me personally, the big, the biggest hardship for me and what definitely keeps me up most nights. What about in rural and remote spaces? Is there anything that you look around and see around your community that you wish was different? <sighs> yes. <laughs> One thing about living rural is that I'm, I'm such a huge advocate on people supporting local. Obviously <laughs> I'm a local business. I want them to support me, but I also want, you know, our community to support local businesses. And I try and advocate for that. But I think the hard thing is about living and doing business in a rural community is that it's so much easier for people to drive to the big city. It's so much easier for um, people in our community and a little west of us to, if they want to go shopping or go out to dinner, they'll drive to the big city, they'll go, they'll spend the extra hour and drive to Sherelle town. And it's, it's hard to keep that um, support local in a rural community. And I like, scream it at the top of my lungs, like, no, we have some really great gems in Summerside, spend the day in Summerside, don't travel to the city. So it is hard. We do, we do have our loyal customers and clients who support us. But um, I do know, if someone's planning, and I'm just saying this because I own a retail store. So if someone's planning a shopping trip, a lot of times they're going to spend the extra time traveling to a bigger city with more options because there's less options in our rural community. Yeah, it's definitely a challenge just not having as much, as many options for the community within a rural spot like we're in. What about advice for other women that are listening in a rural or remote space and think they have a great idea for their community. What's your advice? My advice would be go for it. That was one thing that was kind of holding me back of starting a business was, well, I live in Summerside. I, <laughs> and I, I say that like, but that was what I was saying. Like, well, we're in Summerside. I'm not going to open a clothing store in Summerside. No one shops in Summerside. They go to Charlottetown. And I can't open a store in Charlottetown because I can't travel because I have kids. And that was one thing that was holding me back. I didn't think people were going to come support me because it because we're in a rural community. And I, I didn't think I would get people in shopping in a store in Summerside. But I am a full believer in trying something. And if it fails, at least you tried. So I went for it. And I was blown away by the local support. I think that's one thing that like if I'm giving advice to somebody and especially in a rural community is that I was so surprised at how much other people who live in in the rural community want to like support each other. Like we're such a tight knit family and all my support came like just swarming in from the community. Like the community, the rural community was so excited to see something happening and they have been the ones who continue to be my loyal customers and clients is like the original <laughs> community of customers. And I'm so grateful that I did try because that's like, if, if you are a woman who lives in a rural community and one thing that's holding you back from 
going ahead with a great idea is the fact that, well, maybe you won't succeed because you're rural. I think quite the opposite is true. I think that in a small community, the community just comes together in a way that a big city might never feel and just wants to like help everyone succeed. So I think it almost will help you in a way. I know you're a busy lady and I really appreciate you spending some time with us today. I honestly want to take a trip to visit your store. And, um, you know, if you have a sip and shop, I might even stop in. Yes, (laughs) we do have those. (laughs) Any night we'll pour you a glass of red or white. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. We'd love to have you. Amazing. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you for having me. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate it, and leave a review. It really helps others find us. Clearing a New Path podcast artwork is supported by the graphic design of Katie Wilhelm, and the music branding is by Imagine Dev Studios. The podcast is produced by Radar Media in Temp Centre, Ontario. It is the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and neutral peoples who once used this land as their traditional beaver hunting grounds. The First Nations communities closest to this studio are Chippewa of the Thames First Nation, Oneida Nation of the Thames, Muncie, Delaware First Nation, and the Chippewas of Kettle and Stony Point. We will speak to many people across Turtle Island, and as a settler here, I'm committed to deepening understanding of Indigenous communities and reframing responsibilities to land and community. I am grateful to Mother Earth for the opportunity for love and connection, and to the spirits of the elders and the medicine people who still walk the earth. Until next time, 